you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. They, they actually had a, a video game with those two. Uh, it was a split screen, and you ran around, and you had to hide bombs and try and catch each other. Um, so it was... That's- Perfectly appropriate. I mean, it's amazing for that premise, you know, of them trying to um, outwit each other. Right. For, Scott, how, 40, 50 years worth of work out of it. And I think that right, Peter Kuiper or somebody took over after him, but he was amazingly prolific and, and inventive for that relatively simple premise. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah, always fun. And in, in the little margins occasionally, you see, you know, it's just all that great stuff Matt always did. Exactly. So, I, how are I, you, Alan? I'm, I'm doing fine. It, uh, you know, some, some, uh, tough news. My mom was diagnosed with COVID. She's, you know, she's in a memory care facility out in California and, uh, it's already relatively locked down and isolated. Nobody can get in without testing for temperature at the desk and making sure that you're fully vaccinated and stuff like that. And yet two people in her, uh, area, herself (laughs) included, have now tested positive. So um, it's always that little weirdness of, hey, I'm all the way here in Cleveland and she's in, you know, near San Diego and uh, my my younger brother and his family are out there. So they'll be able to visit or, or not visit depending on what their new protocols are. Um, it just is, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, helpless making. And I, I right. just inspired by that. I signed up to get my fourth booster. You know what I mean? Now the CDC just approved for anybody 50 or over uh, that has various different uh, health compromises and anybody 65 or older period. And because I've had my melanoma and, and uh, uh, my atrial fibrillation, I, I check enough boxes so that I seem to get first dibs when things become available. So this very afternoon, one o'clock, I'm signed up to get my wow. next booster. And, and we'll see. Usually there's a rough two or three days where while your body is building its defenses, it gives you a little bit of fever, a little bit of headache. But but the fourth one. That's, that's what I'm hoping is my body will say, oh, we've seen this before. And it'll just kind of like re-gear up. But from, you know, according to the science, the uh, a vaccine fades with time. You know, this one in particular, because it's, actually, I don't know why, because it's mRNA, because it's not dead versions of the vaccine and your body's immune response kind of... Um, your body is always working to fend off various different things and whatever your body gets trained to do about this one it gets lesser priority perhaps so that it's not it doesn't turn to nothing but efficacy goes down from like 95 percent to 80 percent still good armor but if i'm going to be not only visiting california on a regular basis to go see my mom but going to mind games in maine or going to the ag in nevada or going to quebec for just for laughs i really want to be as safe for me and as safe for others as I possibly can be. And honestly, it might not even matter if the, the BA2 you know, uh, variant of Omicron continues to spread. It really might be that we'll go back down into lockdown mode because apparently it's, it's the most contagious version yet. And even though symptoms are lesser, it, lesser symptoms of a plague 
are still something that you can't just muck around with. There really is, you know, lung involvement and anything that involves long-term effects like losing senses, anything that affects your heart or your lungs, some pretty basic operating parts of your body. (laughs) I don't know. My, I, everybody has a theory about everything. My theory is we've just gotten exhausted, you know, just like when there's a natural disaster and there's a whole bunch of rush of aid for them. And then after two or three months, it's kind of weird to see, but compassion exhaustion kicks in. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't sustain any emotion or any state of being forever. Uh, We just can't, it's not in our nature. Yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of where we're getting. Uh, We, People are not, the world isn't safe. It isn't fine yet. We're only like in the United States, from what I understand, 70% vaccinated, not 90, which is what you need for herd immunity. But we're just kind of saying, we want to eat out. We want to go on a trip, whatever else it might be. I hope that because of that combination of an even more contagious variant and the people that were stubborn and never got vaccinated in the first place. And the, and the more that we are <laughs> without knowing it, you know, every time I'm in a place, I still wear a mask multiple places unless i know like at the rg this weekend that everybody was vaccinated and checked for it otherwise i'm still suspicious going to not suspicious cautious you know what i mean why i'm gonna pick it up at mark's because i went to get peanut butter that was a good way to die so (laughs) And, and actually i didn't even hear that there was a fourth booster ready um you know and that's i mean that should make people a little worried i know you get the conspiracy theorists that oh they're just trying to you know make money or whatever but this is pretty quick i mean they have a flu shot once a year and it's like do you want it do you not you know it's never pushed you know polio you get once uh, you know that type of thing this is like okay every six months there's something new and and and, and if the people who are going well i heard her I, i'm listening to the people that heard mentality and that everybody's getting shot so i don't have to right but let's do the math if 30% of the people do not have it, then let's say half of those people get COVID and die. Well, that's called Darwinism, first of all. And then we've met herd mentality because all the people that didn't get it died and the percentage went up because you didn't understand science. I know you don't understand math. <laughs> Honestly, and you just did the right thing. You know, what we're trying for is herd immunity, but what we really are dealing with is herd mentality. Yes. People just, you know what I mean? They're part of a tribe that doesn't, believe in various different things and starting with the word believe in the first place is a a dangerous place to go you don't get to choose what you think is magic or not you get to read the facts and base a conclusion on them and and i'm sorry you know who we've already lost the first people were the very unlucky ones to be exposed to it early and then probably the last i don't know 50 percent 80 percent are the people that they wouldn't get vaccinated and so they got delta and so they got omicron and no matter you've you've heard it the incredible denialism no matter how much someone is laying in a hospital bed and he is saying it can't be what you're saying it is and his relatives trying to visit him are saying what what bad luck instead of you had every opportunity to hedge your bets here and (laughs) didn't take it and so i don't know my compassion exhaustion is wearing out for the people that are like sad about those things happening instead of Good Lord, you really have been given every opportunity to make yourself safe, but you didn't. And so I just don't care about you as much. You're the danger. And that's, you're not. not. (laughs) You say that, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's horrible to say that, that you don't have. Okay, hold on. Here's my thing. And and I've always kind of had this stance, which I know isn't 
the popular one isn't the one people totally agree with but let's not even talk uh the the, the covid right now let's talk about smoking there it's been shown smoking is bad there's nothing they put chemicals in it to make you addicted they want you to smoke it because it's a big money there's nothing that it benefits your body it's not like giving you a boost of brain power there's no benefit to you whatsoever and it harms other people and you get cancer from it and i i understand some people you know their environment they get hooked on or whatever but but when somebody says oh well i've got emphysema and i've on this tank and i can't breathe and i can't walk you should feel sorry for me you're the one that smoked for 55 years i i didn't i what why should I? Oh, well, I have emphysema. So you should take time out of your life to come and visit me. And you should take time out of your life to take me to the hospital. And you should take time and money out of your life to take me to get my medicine and pay for my medicine. And well, at some point, why do I have to be the one to bear the burden of your choice that hurt you? And, you know, and I know that's a horrible thing to say, but, you know, I've got enough things I worry about with my kids and family and that somebody who chooses not to take care of themselves in some way why do i have to disrupt my whole life because now their life is the consequences i hear you and and honestly of course it's not only about smoking it's about helmet laws it's about yes. you know i mean like seat belts it's about all kinds of things that the the derision that comes from everybody oh the minute you hear something about we could make the world a better place by managing this thing better oh that's the nanny state that's the government telling you what to do well no it's the people that have all the information that can see the obvious conclusion saying if our principle is we're trying to save lives we're trying to make everybody safer then this small thing of not being able to smoke in a restaurant uh that's the only thing we're asking and well i think we need a government agency of like the ones that check up five years after the doomsayers and what happens is like, what do we hear about stopping smoking in Ohio? Oh my God, it'll close on every bar and restaurant. There's no way we'll survive. Funny, the world continued to go on just fine, but without the smoking. And now it's such a normal thing that when first when I lived in Illinois, or went out to California and got wonderfully used to having no cigarette smoke around me. And I came to Ohio to be with Colleen and I was back in the restaurant where it's like, well, we have a smoking and a non-smoking section. Oh yes, the magical force field that keeps you <laughs> right. cigarette smoke over there with the filthy people. That doesn't really work, you see. And so I, it, 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 there's so many issues about that where we really should say, hey, the people that proposed having a casino and how many jobs it will produce and what a nice neighborhood it'll create. Five years later, somebody has to say, you lied and lied and lied. It isn't only that you were wrong, you knew going in that you were wrong, that you were going to be wrong. And yet people don't seem to get punished for it, pay a penalty for it, get money raked back from all the promises they made that didn't come true. So where's the clawback provisions for, for virtually everything we do <laughs> that would say, uh, every, every promise you make that you know going in is wrong, is, it's not just a broken promise, it's fraud. Yeah, Do you know it, what I mean? I, and, and, and we see that all kinds of places. Right. So it'd be so nice to not just have it fade with history, but to have actually somebody say, hey, that didn't work out. And funny, the last 10 things you've proposed in that way haven't worked out. It's not only that those things are tricky issues, it's that you come down on the wrong side of every one of those tricky issues because your reasoning is flawed, because right. you're in the pocket of the various different lobbyists right. or exactly. whatever else it might be. And so, I don't know, I... Lately, so many of my posts have just been about 
Where's our pride? How, how much are we going to let ourselves get fooled again and again and again by the liars and the truly evil people that really seem to be selling out hundreds of millions in order to have, what, a couple million more dollars, a couple hundred right. of million more dollars? How many people are worth a swimming pool and a yacht and a, whatever the trappings of success, power? You know what I mean? Wow. And you get to be in the room where the decision is made and then you make a shitty decision. I don't want those people in place. (laughs) So, and you know, with the, the totally agree with all that with the COVID thing, I was thinking of, and I know this won't change the world, but just for my own benefit, thinking of writing a short story because it was right around the civil war that they started discovering germs and uh, and bacteria and things like that and how it affected wounds and stuff. And there were some doctors that would wash hands and others thought they were crazy. It wasn't worth it. Why do that? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like science fiction. We've talked about you can reflect today's society and culture in science fiction and not get dinged because it's a future uh, weird society, but it's what's happening. You know, this to me is kind of the same thing. You get the, the group's do a civil war story where this group uh, they're dying off dying off dying off every time someone gets shot it gets infected and it's hurting and limbs are falling and then you get this other group that's like just like doo, 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 because their doctors are washing hands and stuff like that you exactly. know exactly and it's funny like you said since science fiction will have it be like i'm trying to i'm sure there was a star trek episode where um they went back here to the past and they saw how modern medicine state-of-the-art medicine was dealing and i think bones had something like barbarians yes what were they doing what were they thinking back then and that's all he had to do is point out like lister did like uh, you know about wow about uh checking to wash hands and prevent disease about pasteurizing milk you know the biggest things that have aided our um uh uh, extended lifetime is public health things it's not only we've had better medicine it's that we just have clean water People figured out if there's a, a, a better thing to do than defeat typhus and anything that can be waterborne, like, and th- that that's exactly the way to bump your life from 30 to 70 in the course of the last hundred yeah. years. Yeah. Wash hands. Then you have people that start to say, well, we can ease up on that a little bit. You know what I mean? When they start right. to say, we don't need to do food checking or water checking or air checking. It's, it's unbelievable almost to me that they, they saw the benefit of all that. And they say, I don't want that benefit anymore. You know, have like the car. <laughs> Ohio charge. You probably know this. They, if you have a hybrid or an electric car, they charge you an extra fee because you're not paying the gas fee. I, I didn't know that. I'm like, that's stupid. We saw that a couple of years ago and we kind of couldn't believe it. You know, some Freakonomics, those wonderful books talk a lot about incentives that you really can't force behavior, but you can make it so that just by the right nudges in the right places, you can in- incent people, incense people into doing the right thing. And when, when you see people that are doing exactly the opposite of that, like no matter what they're saying, look at the law they put in place. They talk about clean air and renewable sources, and then they charge more for the people that are willing to make the switch because. We have to maintain the gas taxes. We have to maintain the gas profits that Action come from the, the word. It's disgusting. You know what I mean? And and, and unfortunately, uh, we don't have enough time in the next hundred podcasts to talk about all the examples <laughs> of say yes and do no and right. irrational laws being passed and all that kind of stuff. So I, uh, Ohio's latest is we have gerrymandering to the nth. We have provable things where the the. Um, representatives do not represent 
the blocks of people that we have living in Ohio. Right. And yet, by them playing chicken with the election is coming up, we have to have congressional maps that will guide people as to where to go to vote and how to collect the votes and determine that. And uh, the, the courts keep saying this is provably unconstitutional, provable gerrymandering. And they go away for six weeks and come back with something tweaked 1%, not wholesale different, not we brought in other experts and had them guide us to it. And in fact, they just had it where the proposal by the experts, the Republicans said, yeah, thanks for that. And went back to what they were doing. So it's, and and sorry, I just defamed the Republicans, but we, we talked about this before. If you're looking for the things that benefit society, I don't think I'm either Republican or Democrat. I'm very independent. What I am is smart. And if what the principle of of a better democracy is more people vote, we enable the vote, we make sure that we should have the national holiday for voting, we should make polling places open longer and more of them and all that kind of stuff. And it's provable that that does get the vote up. You don't want people elected with 51% of all the people. You want them where there's a mandate, where it's 90%. Having said all that, who's in line with opening up the vote and who's in line with shutting it down? And that lets me know whether people are truly Democrats, patriots, decent people, or whether they are chicanerists, whether they are just, they'll do whatever they can to get reelected while while smiling about it, while wearing a very nice suit, while telling you all about how they're going to protect. They're tough on crime, though, except their crime, their vast crime. So, wow. And what to tell you when the new people get in every time and then they spend the first three, four months restructuring all the lines of the polling places. And then you look at the maps and, you know, okay, here's a map. Zoop, zoop. Okay. We, the big neighborhoods. No, it's a line up through here and through here. It, oh, exactly. come on. It's a paramecia. It's a, it's a salamander. It's where it just stretches over where you can see that, you know, nowadays one of the problems with big data is that we really can tell how various different demographics live in various different neighborhoods, whatever, along the river, along the train track, along the, you know, that kind of stuff. And you can see how they carve out such incredible specific things that it isn't at all trying to get a mandate from the people. Right. uh, You know what we need here? This just came to me. This is really because, you know, in negotiations, you need a third party to take care of it because when you can't communicate, you got two sides fighting, you need that third party. What we need to do is hire Canada to run our (laughs) government for a little bit and take care of things. You know, the more that we get, uh, true war crime type stuff being done where we're killing our own people or where we're you know, like stealing money wholesale and off it goes to the various different tax havens and stuff like that. I often wonder about that. When is the UN going to say, wow, you're a rogue nation, the United States. You are, you are absolutely all the things in the Pandora papers and the Panama papers. You have all, you have more than enough examples to say you are a, a failing state. You're a sieve. You are not guarding the vote. You are not guarding monetary. Uh, it's amazing what you're saying. And and yet, um, when you have the people in charge making the rules and being able to direct, hey, if the IRS is now starting to focus on us more, huh, I think I'll take some money out of the IRS so that, and I'll make sure that the IRS guidelines are, go after the people that are making less than $100,000, because that's where you're going to find the real bad guys. No, it's the amazing, like this one guy with all all the little tax tricks that he's done is as bad as the next 100,000, the next million people. And yet it's hard to go after the oligarchs like we're finding out with Russia. You know, if wouldn't it be an interesting, heartening thing if the same yacht impounding and shutting down of 
uh, of financial travesties and stuff like that was happening to the worst of our guys and doesn't have to be focused on the United States, just the worst of the world in general. The way right. that those places exist in the Grand Caymans and on the Isle of Man and you know what I mean? All those, not just tax havens, but actual horrible ways of hiding money, tax shelter, avoiding not just taxes, but even the repatriation of profits and stuff like that. It There's all kinds of books that talk about there's no better explanation for the top 10 things that have happened to the world in the last 50 years than sociopathic greed as compared to, oh, no, a natural disaster. Oh, no, a very bad luck. Oh, no, um, military adventuring. It really does seem to be getting down to the, the and it was kind of funny. So now I'm saying this, it's like, well, I'm only paranoid. I know that everybody knows this and yet nobody can do anything about it. And so we just hope, I hope they don't turn their spotlight on me it's right. maddening. I, I don't get how it continues to go on. Boy, this is, I, I say this, um, not at all advocating it. We shouldn't do these bad things. But I am amazed that people don't get shot. I am amazed exactly. that someone who just had their wife died because they couldn't get medical care. And then here comes the guy out of Congress that passed the bill that said, no, you're not going to get that medical care. I'm amazed that more people don't say I, I, you're not going to live a day longer than my wife did. I, I you know what I mean? Like it's, it's in the stories. It's horrible in the barbarism. It's vigilante justice. I don't want that. And yet I'm amazed it's not happening because right. with the but, ease of getting a gun and the boiling over point that we're reaching with the class structures that we have and stuff like that, that, you know, Mitch McConnell getting yelled at while he was eating at the one restaurant. I'm, I'm really happy that no one got hurt, but all it would take is that one little, next step to be i i to well be yeah, so to be what terrible. would happen is you know what I mean? so then they would pass all these more stringent laws against people that take any actions against politicians or government and stuff and then they would pass things to allow for uh private security uh for uh government officials and we'd be paying for all of that and then what would happen somebody would get mad raise their voice and just get shot because well he was threatening the governor and that's legal to shoot him now you know it, it, it could be that but it also could be hey if you got nothing to live for you know what i mean like just that if it wasn't your wife it, i'm sick I know I'm going to die and I can't get the insulin that's going to keep me alive. Wow. I would, I would, you know, who wouldn't go say uh, there's people on this planet that shouldn't be what? here longer than I am because they caused this, you know? So it, I, I just, that, whatever that sense of law versus justice, whatever that sense of well, horrible right. rough frontier justice, it really, there, there's, I don't know, there's all kinds of spy novels that are based on if you're willing to die, you can penetrate any system. If right. you're cunning enough and patient enough and you know what I mean? So and, I, and I so much don't want it to be that way. And yet I think that the bad guys use that against the polite society, right. knowing that they can indeed beef up security or they get, I don't know, every time you read about why haven't we assassinated foreign leaders, it isn't necessarily, I think, because it's... Um, horrible and immoral it's that that means that they could get assassinated too the people that might order that assassination right. are now also and so i but having said that i'm wondering why putin hasn't been killed he ordered the assassination of all kinds of people in terms of hey let's slip some radioactive material into the reporter's coffee or whatever else it might be and so why hasn't that 
equal and opposite code of Hammurabi response <laughs> been used? Is it because Putin has too many body doubles? Is it because he's too well protected? I don't think so. I think that they really could do it, but I, boy, this is going on terrible tracks. Well, this is, that's funny. I, mean, I really don't want to be the latest InfoWars right. nutbar podcast. It isn't that everything has to be <laughs> I love oh, the, name. the best way to solve this with a gun. I have a right. gun. I'll solve it. Well, it's funny, no, though. You, no, mentioned, to... <laughs> you mentioned sociopath, and it makes oh. me think of the arguments. You know, what's the difference between uh, justice and vengeance and retribution? You know, uh, because there's slight differences there depending on the circumstances. And somebody who does that well and a lot is Batman. So segue time. <laughs> I can ask you that. It's a, it's a you know, I, I just saw it. I just saw it last week. Um, I, you know, went to the theater, had my mask on, sat far enough away so I could sneak some popcorn, all kind of stuff. It's a great movie. It is. The fact that, the fact that it wasn't, like, what, what's one of the flaws of the Batman movies from the past? Too many villains yeah. that they really just did crowd it in and try to make it, you know, how can he defeat five people when in the comic books, usually one good villain is good enough for a three, six issue arc. They didn't retell the origin story one more time. Thank you. waste any time about that. But they also... They, they like, I don't know, they didn't just make it that it's a lark, that it's not a millionaire playboy having a good time, but that he's really himself suffering, punishing, being punished for this kind yeah. of thing that he, and that, and that it isn't his comic book. It isn't like, hey, I'll go punch a couple of bad guys and all will be well. It very much prevent, presents the conspiracy theory aspect of how many people are really in on this, who really wants a vigilante, who really owns the cops, who really owns industry. And I thought that the performances were really good. Yes. The guy who plays the Riddler, you know, the Riddler became a joke ever since the TV show from the 60s. And maybe he was kind of presented as a joke version of the Joker when he was first created. But they kind of reformed him over the last 40 years where he's really brilliant and just has that weird need to confess quirk about him. But after a while, he also has that, well, I'm tired of being upstaged by the Joker and by Mr. Freeze and whatever else. I'm brilliant. I can do really evil plotting i can really make it so that it's more like um <laughs> so you know what what's the seven you know what i mean Where it's oh, like, right. wow, that's a really grisly death who what kind of madman would do that so the fact that he could hide in plain sight that he's just an ordinary looking joe that happens to also be insane and therefore capable of anything brilliant um, and insane brilliant and insane exactly that and the involvement of like there are elements in society that are going to do what he wants just because they want the chaos. There really yeah. are anarchists. There really are people that if I ally with this guy and I can let my purge craziness out, you know what I mean? Right. It, there, you'll find that it's no, you know, henchmen aren't just, Hey, he pays me $15 an hour to wear a funny shirt and go into the bank. <laughs> no, there are people that are going to be happy to say, arm me. I will be your, right your, your your execution arm or whatever else it might be so they captured a whole bunch of past batman uh, through the mirror of today and what we're thinking yes, about absolutely it, so what i remember thinking the movie is that every scene they they put weight into it it's it's hard until you see it it's really hard to understand that comment but every scene just feels like it's bearing down on you and they don't rush they don't 
I mean, Batman walks almost with that gunslinger pace. You know, exactly. you hear the they show the heavy boots. They hear yes. the, the, the loud tread of the boots and stuff yes. like that. But uh, and this is, you know, spoilers. Uh, he has the Bane juice. So that could come up in the next movie. Um, yeah, and he goes. Left. Yeah. And he goes really crazy when he has that going on. But and and just the the whole movie, every scene is very precise and thought out and and it doesn't feel like it's dragging, but they're not rushing to get to the end at all. That's a great way to put it. Matt Reeves did the perfect pacing. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, hats off to the soundtrack, people. Yeah. So much of the movie was, it wasn't at all chipper, bright, and the usual <laughs> swoopy adventure noises. It was a whole bunch of boom, boom, right. boom. The deep, like all in a minor key, all with like, if you're looking for how to build that brooding, that sense of menace, et cetera, et cetera. The, absolutely. The soundtrack is like third star of this film. It really lends atmosphere to everything that's going on. Yep. And so Bruce, they, they hardly ever did any focus on the philanthropist millionaire playboy. That wasn't really a part of this at all. It was Batman. It really was. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of funny. Part of comic book mythos lately has been, who's uh the real person you know what i mean right. when uh superman you know plays clark kent you can tell that clark kent is kind of his alter ego you know what i mean that really he's superman and that's kind of the same for batman that when he puts on the whole costume to disguise himself he's actually putting on the costume that reveals himself right <laughs> you know yep. what i mean that it really is him that uh, angel of vengeance that that uh tortured you know what I mean? They, they had, they did have, though they didn't repeat the origin. They had a whole bunch of references to how his parents died and how that set yep. the entire Wayne Fortune into disarray, and that it actually the Wayne Fortune, as you know, got abused. You know, by making the renewal fund that became this slush fund that the criminals used. So right. one generation was all it took to have it be. You know, here's this young man, not in his majority yet, that couldn't guide things, and the vultures, the evil people, swept in <laughs> and were able to do terrible things. So, yeah. um. I, I just, I, another one of those movies, you really got to see it like in the big theater with the big sound and everything so that it's an enveloping experience would be much, much less effective on your, on your home TV, no matter how big your TV might be, because you really is, you want to be enveloped in it, kind of not have any distractions. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I, we, we say this all the time. Every time that I go to a theater or a show and it's really good, and yet I see somebody checking their phone, I'm like, what is fractured in their brain that this thing is not riveting enough that they still had to check that little beep boop of their phone. It can't be that whatever's coming on the phone is as interesting as this, as well done as this. It, it, it's Weird. the, it's the addiction quality there. And by the yeah. way, it's going to be on HBO in like two, three weeks. Uh, you'll have it. That cycle does seem to be quicker and quicker. That used yeah. to be they released in the theaters, and as long as they were making any kind of box office, they'd keep it there. Nowadays, you know, sometimes there's simultaneous releases, and then there's actually been some friction about that. That if you right didn't uh, Black Widow actually uh, that is Scarlett Johansson oh yeah sued the studio because some part of her compensation was based on box office instead of pay per view or whatever the equivalent you know free if you will on Netflix. And so by not staging it that way and having initial public demand all be dedicated to seeing the movie, she kind of got short shrift. I don't know how that turned out. Yeah. I understand there was a settlement, but no numbers were revealed. But all that stuff is still being decided as to when you have digital everything everywhere. It, it's very much a choice. It's not a matter of how quickly can you get the canned film out to the various different theaters. Right. You know right. what I and, mean? And so. what you said about the music, you know, anyone that's like, oh, I'll just wait till it comes at home. What I don't get is the people that have 
these huge TVs, but then they don't have any type of good sound system. It's just the little speakers on the TV. Right. Not even a sound bar, no subwoofer. Uh, no. It makes so much difference. Yeah. I, uh, a good friend, Denny, was one of the first guys I knew that had actually created that home studio, that, that home theater. You know what I mean? Where he really had the big screen, but also just had everything arrayed correctly so that when like, you watched uh, Armageddon, if I remember, was the movie that he showed me, where it really was, you know, huge spaceship swooshing noises. And when something explodes, it really like chest thumping kind of deep bass right, and stuff right. like that. So it, I don't really need to watch everything that way. I don't mind tv kind of being on in the background while i'm doing something else but when you want to watch it it's very cool to have absolutely the experience. And, yeah, yeah. and the batmobile this time was <laughs> so nice oh it was the, the, because again all this movie they didn't name the 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 bad guys it, it wasn't the joker and the riddler and catwoman and you know it, it was just these are vigilantes crazy but you know and, and so i liked that also they they didn't they didn't use the names to make it campy they kept that out of it exactly. and then they come out with the car and that looks like if i was if i had the money and the expertise that's the batmobile i'd make man like, kind of like a mustang and then just soup it up to have you know a, a power plant a jet instead engine, of an engine. <laughs> exactly that so and boy we skip right over Catwoman, very effective. You know yes. what I mean? Whatever that thing is, that they're they're both on the edge. They're both, I don't know, living very, very dangerous lives. And yet there's attraction and there's something about that that they they can't refute it, even though they know that it they really shouldn't be doing right. this kind of stuff. So th she was um appropriately flirty and slinky, and yet very much her own woman. She isn't just an appendage catwoman like it used to be that she was just kind of a love interest. No, she's very much her own solid character and threat if you will. And so she's walking, whereas Batman's walking the vigilante and justice and vengeance line. She's walking that, you know, I like pretty things. I'm a great thief. But if I steal it from the bad guys, then I'm actually doing society a service and all that kind of stuff. Right. Very much what they also showed was that it isn't only the costume crazies that are the threat. If you've got deeply embedded crime, deeply embedded corruption, that's, you know, I don't know, a hundred cops chasing you around the city, a thousand. It's more dangerous than the than the riddler trying to set up a death trap for you you know what i mean so right. and the fact that they they had obvious like the mafia references i'm trying to think you know moroni right falcone falcone the falcones exactly and john turturro very good as the like very polite looking kind of an uh, you know a, a salt and pepper haircut yeah. gentleman that just speaks very very calmly and nicely while he orders people's deaths you know what i mean you don't have to be a, <laughs> yeah. a, a, a spit flying off your lips raving a lunatic to still be a very dangerous right and so. and uh <laughs> the, um penguin you know they didn't give him the cheesy nose and the flippers or crap like that and right. you saw who the penguin was right the actor yes oh my gosh i didn't recognize him at all that was fantastic <laughs> Just enough scarring and and not like you said, not prosthetics to make him look grotesque, yeah. but absolutely that that he's uh uh Dick Tracy, maybe it might have been the first one to start this, where that if you really are disfigured, deformed, etc., it really might separate you from society. And especially if what you get is often derision and right, uh, you know, that kind of thing, it's no wonder that you kind of get a chip on your shoulder. And that very much seems to be the case. A uh, huge an iceberg on his shoulder, you know, ah. to go with the, the penguin. Ha ha. Right. You know what I mean? That he really was 
uh, very effective. And so it was Colin Farrell, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So bullseye from daredevil. (laughs) Exactly. And and like, and not to be weird, a very handsome guy. And yet you wouldn't be able to tell that from the really kind of distorted scarred, you know what I mean? It was awesome. Terrible stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So very well done. The other thing I really loved about the Batman himself is it really felt like he was a young 20, uh, kid that was just going on anger more than uh, uh skills i mean he he would jump through a window and stumble and fall and he got knocked down and beat up as much as he took care of other people and he did he at, at first i was like oh come on patterson he's too much of a skinny little guy but it worked so well and it made me feel closer to the batman because yeah he, he's like if i tried to do that when i was 23 right. you, you know there's been some great series as you know batman has a long history but what they've done currently and i say currently let's say 20 years ago was they started to do maybe this is even 30 years ago batman year one where like frank miller david mazzuccelli if i remember right they did things of what was it really like when he was starting off he didn't have the whole bat cave full of souvenirs he didn't have the bat pewter and he just wasn't an accomplished guy yet he had done all of the training and schooling so that he was a martial arts proficient and was young detective and that kind of stuff but he sure wasn't anywhere near the formidable kind of running the universe batman right. that he is in the justice league you know what i mean he's always one two three steps ahead of even the most super powered guys he's ahead of the flash how do you do that anyway <laughs> <laughs> so that, that you're right it was good to show him when he's just starting off when he's not i don't know he he hasn't uh he's not invulnerable indomitable he really has to work for it and that right. is a more approachable guy like you're saying yeah yeah, it, yeah. good movie if, if people haven't seen it yet you know go see it if it's still in the theater grab it when it comes out and speaking of spider-man's out now so got to go get that copy of that i going. think morbius comes out this weekend and i'm looking forward yes. to morbius you know what i mean and another one where let's see it's is it jude law no who's doing um no christian jared no, leto jared leto exactly that and he sure looks like he's got that um the ability to go from like placid to violent quickly that would be what you were if you were like kind of hydrophobic crazy feral rabies do you know what i mean it, it's hey, yeah i'm looking forward to seeing what he can do so uh and that looks pretty good. and moon knight dropped today the first episode with oscar uh isaacson Right. Oh, I, I, boy, I need to get out. I'm going to have to watch that. Okay. Because I'm, you know, I must admit I have some misgivings. I don't think of Oscar Isaac as a heavyweight. And I really was looking forward to, I don't know who I was looking forward to, but he wasn't there. Oh, that's perfect. So I'll have to see what he does with it. Yeah, you know, right. he really is actorly. He's, I've liked him in various different roles, but I haven't been like, wow, he's the actor of his generation. So I'm, I'm hoping that I am very wrong and that he does the right amount of crazy, the right amount of threatening, you know, the right amount of charming because Moon Knight in his various different identities is all those things. You know, you don't get Marlene without being a really good playboy and stuff right, like that. Right. So, so and, we'll see. And it's, uh, it's one of those I find interesting because, uh, you know, except for the comic book geeks, people don't know who Moon Knight is. They, they've never heard of him. They have no idea. The general public who loved Iron Man and loved Endgame and all that have no clue. So, drawing those people in is going to be a tricky thing uh even the ones that have watched loki and uh wandavision you know because wandavision had split reviews you know a lot of people were like eh, i don't know you know didn't care for it 
So this is another one that I think Marvel's going to have to work harder than they have in the past to get people into be. it. I'll, I'll tell you, so much of what I hope goes on here is that they use the right stories. By that meaning, multiple, you know, originally created by, I think, Doug Mensch, right? And, you know, like, and Mike yeah. Blue, maybe. Um, multiple people have put their stamp on him by having done the various different miniseries. He's not been an ongoing character for the last 40 years. Right. He's kind of like had 12 or 32 or whatever issues. And then it has never been a big seller. So he kind of fades away, but then comes back. Sometimes he's been with the West Coast Avengers or whatever. Warren Ellis did a really great version of him. Uh, multiple people have, but I'm like, just like I was very happy that the Doom Patrol was done with Grant Morrison as the principal. That's why it is so quirky and so much like nothing you've ever seen before, because he's got a vast imagination. And so just that, whatever that combination of charm and threat and madness <laughs> that the right. Moon Knight has to have, Warren Ellis really captured that well. And I'm hoping that a lot of what's going on here is not just um, he's a, a different version of the Batman. That right. You know what I mean? That I really want it to be that they they go with the best source material and adapt a lot of that into what's going on here. The, I'm sure that the showrunners will not just do it slavishly. They're going to combine different parts of the mythos and move things around time-wise, just like they did with um, Doctor Strange or the Punisher right. or whatever else it might be. Yeah, keep, so, keep good Egyptian references and things and, you know, don't give them just a gun when you can use something Egyptian. You know, those type of things I I bug me when shows do that. Oh, yeah, uh, it's Egyptian, but he's wearing, uh, you know, a Punisher-type costume and he's using a gun. And Where's the Egyptian part come in? You exactly. said Egyptian, so that's it. <laughs> I, I, one thing I know that they retain that I've always, I like this. I think it was else that might've done this the first time is, you know, people talk to him about, well, you're, you operate at night and yet you wear a white costume. You know, why in the world would you do that? Doesn't it make you less effect? Because, oh no, I want them to see me coming. <laughs> it's like so perfectly arrogant or threatening or, right. you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, and I, crazy, I, you know? I always <laughs> took his outfit to be like, uh, you know, like he rose from the moon. Cause you know, it's kind of moon colored. It, 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 exactly that you know and it's kind of funny so it from um they have established now that he another thing that's interesting about him is that it isn't just well i'm the um avatar of Kanshu on earth and it's not only the god of, god of vengeance which could be like the specter if you will on the, in the on the right. dc side but it's also i i protect travelers by night very interesting specific thing and yet that enables them to pull in all of the wow, a, a woman walking down the street that suddenly is getting threatened by, you know, the, the guy with the knife or something like that. And the, the, the parts of him that are that are about that, you know, that I, I as an avatar, I, I kind of got get my powers from Khonshu. There's the moon tie-in so that the more that it is the fuller moon, the stronger he is. I'm not sure if that's in the series, but that's what it has been in the right. comic books. But is that only a psychosomatic thing? Because he is mad and any... You know what I mean? It's kind of like, how much can you transform yourself on the basis of you're going to believe what you want to? And if you are with hysterical strength stronger because you think the full moon makes you stronger, then you are. Right. Well, there's a whole bunch of cool things going on here. You know, it's like... <laughs> right. And and they, they had that revamp 
uh, Bendis series where instead of just being different personalities, it was personalities of Captain America, Wolverine, and Spider-Man. I should have mentioned Bendis as well. That's right. That's a chance to bring them in in a little cameo like they did with Captain America when Loki turned into him for five seconds. You know, just a little... Yeah, they've had a lot of, like, whenever you have a, like, I don't know, all kinds of uh, superheroes have a code against killing. Not so much Moon Knight, not so much the Punisher. And so sometimes when you get a team up, if you will, or at least they meet, the the superheroes sometimes feel, well, I got to bring this guy in. He just shot someone. Well, except with the bad guy was really just the most evil, rapist piece of shit in the universe. Yeah, The superhero has to be saying, all I got to do is just walk away. All I got to do is not not do anything. And justice will have been done in a way that I couldn't have done. Right. But we might need to have this brutalist you know what i mean this this last sanction instead of no put him in prison put him in the asylum oh he got out again in three months i'm menaced again the world is menaced again so and we've had that that ethical (laughs) conundrum discussion because it goes back to again okay so what you just said captain america stomped this guy put him in jail but we know he's gonna get out 10 more times and kill a thousand people each time well, Moon Knight came in and just killed him and he didn't go to jail. So ethically, Captain Razor, oh, my God, you can't do that. That makes you a monster. Does it? Isn't it more of a monster to know? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, you're more of a monster if you know he's going to kill people and you let him live. Uh, there's that ethical discussion and it comes up in comics a, a whole lot. Uh, Absolutely. So, and that's kind of what, I, you know, it, there isn't a the right answer, obviously, but it is going to be one of those things that that shows how comic books have matured since the 60s, 70s, 80s, where the first time that you had that dilemma of, are we really going to put him away one more time? And it's really that him him getting out, that his crimes are then on your ne- your head. You didn't take care of business all the right. way to make it so he could never get out. And and the more that they, not only the asylum aspect, but they have superpowered criminals that they like keep building better prisons, right? The Raft or Project Pegasus or whatever else it might be. But then... When a whole bunch of them get out at once, it's as if a tidal wave has hit the city. You know, how do you stop 10 superpowered rhinos and wrecking crews and, you know, the the crazy strong guys? How do you recapture them all? How do you undo the damage that they've done while they rampage? There's some pretty, one of the joys of talking about comic books nowadays is that it really is the real world. Right. I know that's a terrible way to say it because, of course, it's not. But (laughs) they bring in, like, I don't know, they had a series about damage control. You know, after they have a big fight, who cleans up? Who's responsible for the cost of that? Who, who's going to get sued because somebody got trapped in the wreckage? You right. know what I mean? It, it's it's superhero real world intrusion in a way, but it sure is real, more real. <laughs> right. The, the best superhero, modern superhero stories are like what we were saying with the sci-fi stories where they can reflect society in a way that you can't do in just literature fiction or yeah. something they, they can yeah. show and people accept it but even though it's hey this is what's going on you know exactly i'll tell you you know a breakthrough series as you might know was the green lantern green arrow series by denny o'neill and neil adams i loved that they they, they were um so you know, it might be that you're a superhero and what you do is punch out the bad guys when they rob the bank or, you know, somehow try to take over the world. Well, what about systemic problems like uh, prejudice, like, you know, uh, AIDS? AIDS what was big, drugs, speeding yeah, was on really, drugs. What are you doing to, to save the world from harder things than even any villain? And, and that's what the series is about, is them kind of, if you really are 
like so powerful shouldn't you be spending your time elsewhere shouldn't you be like willing into existence that heroin doesn't exist anymore or something like that so and then you get (laughs) it's it's multifaceted and layered problems because green lantern he can use his ring and his will to do just about anything so then does he go around and snatch up all the drug dealers and then what does he do with them Uh, you know and we go back to the moral thing and is it his right to do that to other people uh you know (laughs) and i can i can see an argument either way depending on your your depending on what you were assigned in the debate class (laughs) really well what's cool is you know the, the seeds for what then later happened with parallax are all planted into me that Denny O'Neill series where Green Arrow is saying, you really have to step up. You have to do more. If you really have this power, you shouldn't be wasting it on petty things. You should be doing big things. Well, when Green Lantern does that, like my city was destroyed by Mongol, if I remember right, I'm going to bring it back. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to do all kinds of terrible things. Right. So how much does the end justify the means? Same, maybe not same, similar to what went on with civil war. You know what I mean? There's a, a clash of philosophies and that neither one of them is neat they're all messy and interconnected and tangled and yet when you start to have the absolutists that insist it has to be one way and only one way that it makes people take sides about are we really going to let that happen are we really going to aid it in happening and boy there was the, the whole concept of a superhero of a vigilante taking the law into his own hands no matter how many good guys you've bad guys you've captured no matter how much a good guy you are if you've done it without sanction from society your elected leaders and so forth it strikes at the heart of that we are a representative democracy right (laughs) you know what i mean but it goes back (laughs) goes back to you know what who who gets to decide who makes that choice and you know when when is the line drawn and right there well uh, Green Lantern, if you could bring this whole city back with all these people because it affected you, well, how come you didn't save my daughter when she was going to get hit? Or how about my husband? It's all about you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, wow. I mean, it's kind of funny. One of the joys of talking about these kinds of things is for all the people that really don't know how cool comic books are, it, they, they have to get past the Biff Bam Pow part of comic books. Yes. They saw Batman in the 60s and they think that it's all kind of silly. Yeah. And boy, instead, I've gotten so much out of the, the moral and societal conflicts that have been presented and, and how people deal. How do you deal in a relationship where I'm really in love with this woman, but I can't tell her my biggest secret? What does that do to erode love? To right. You know what I mean? Like, it, boy, it's they, they really have. I'm very happy with all the comic books I read because they prepared me as much as anything else for the world and how difficult it is how messy how intricate how you know what i mean there there's very few bracketology yes no's it's all wow this is a 5149 call and i'm still not sure that i went the right right way i'm gonna have to review it in three months and see how did it turn out you know what i mean right it's still funny to me the people that oh you read comic books those are for kids uh but they will go see the superhero movies and enjoy those and even beyond that they're, they're like well you should you shouldn't be reading those comics but they'll go see a movie based on a book, but not read the book. <laughs> I mean, boy, I, there's no accounting for I know. <laughs> things people do with their brains to rationalize. To exactly. And whatever they're doing, it's right. It's the right. Yeah, thing. <laughs> whatever. But the great thing is we get the best of everything when we enjoy the books, the comics and the movies. <laughs> exactly. It, uh, you know, I, I, uh, 
I continue to use Comixology to try to, try to catch up on current stuff. Oh, so, yes, I got news on that. So, Sorry. in fact, let's go into that. I, I, I'm enjoying certain things. I love your your son turned me on to the house in the woods, the nice house in the woods. Very interesting. You know what I mean? It's yeah. nice to see um, some of the new names. Uh, my past Amazon follows were all of people I already liked, the Alan Moores and the Brian Bendis's and so forth. But now it's like, well, I got to throw Timmy on in there. I got to throw Ryan. I got, uh, you know, there's all kinds of uh, Tom King, all kinds of new uh, writers. And, and some artists that I like enough that I like, no matter what they're working on, I kind of want to see it. I kind of want to see what their latest is. There's not only them on Batman, it's that they showed such craft in what they were doing that I'm just ready to see. I'm ready yeah. to see whatever they're working on. So, so I, I saw in some news that we weren't the only ones that was complaining about the switchover from mm. Amazon and Comic-Con. So I heard, and I, I actually took the app off my ipad which i need to put back but the comiXology app i guess they made some tweaks and improvements to address some of the problems and concerns now they really need to do that with the kindle app i hate digging through all my comics now to try and find the books i'm looking for i i hear you i mean who as any kind of serial reader any kind of collector doesn't want a way to manage their collection that it's not just dog's dinner that it's not or it's not only right. chronological it's not only alphabetical i need to be able to do multiple things to get quickly to what i'm interested in right now right and they sure haven't set themselves up in that way no so. no so hopefully that'll all get better um okay. and fyi i uh i don't know if it'll go anywhere but uh and i i know some people like this website some don't but comic book resources uh which they i know they spew out a ton of news all the time uh tons right. of articles and a lot of it can tons be rumor mill stuff which i don't always care for but okay yes a lot of times they have the the updated info and they talk they have some good articles on characters and comics so anyway i submitted a writing sample to do uh submit articles and news and stuff for them so and the, the first guy read it got back to me and said he passed it on to the editorial team so i feel i got past one gatekeeper Good uh, for you man. so That'd we'll see cool. what happens get, get another byline so yeah, anyway, yeah. I, I have to make a, a funny observation so here we are you know the, the fact that people can see us i'm uh so i occasionally go and get my little drink here and i'm like you know when you're on a talk show when you're trying to look like big mr hollywood there's not a lot of people that are like <laughs> moving already so i i remember like i guess i i remember seeing a a comedian and i wish i could cite who it was because it was hilarious where he's like you know one of the things you don't want to do in a bar is you know if you're sitting there hey you know don't make me come over there and kick your ass <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, the fact that i still drink from a straw often is automatically like <laughs> unmanly or something. You know what I mean? Like instead of sitting there gulping down, wiping a little bit of the foam <laughs> off my mustache, because I'm well, just, I got to get my morning beer. I got to get my shower scots first thing in the morning. Instead, me and my diet, Dr. Pepper, right. in a little plastic cup with a little straw. That's, I guess well, it gets past my teeth so I'm not rotting them out of my head. It's better than drinking a beer from a, <laughs> with a straw. So you're okay. I get, there's enough like a way to get even drunk faster because it aerates really? it or something. Really? Like or I think I've, I heard that, read that. Anyway. I can't drink a beer through a straw. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Most of the time, I'm just paying attention to you, but I glanced over at myself. It's like, wow, <laughs> you look like a little turtle or something. You look... <laughs> 
You need oh. to get one of those hats. <laughs> with the straw. Maybe that's it. With with a swirly straw that goes down, right. and I arm myself with you know right, two, right. two cans right. and it. <laughs> okay, so um, before we uh, run out of have? time, uh, yeah. over the weekend uh, we had the Dayton RG, and we're getting back into the RGs. And you mentioned it earlier. Um, okay. So feedback uh, response, we'll send it to Dan. Maybe <laughs> there we go. So you know. For those of, of, uh, of our listeners who might not be Mensons, Mensa has a very cool tradition about regional gatherings. All over the country, they have various different groups in cities that put on a big party on a weekend, usually Friday to Sunday. And it's it's not only a party where everybody gets together and mingles and drinks. They have programs of various different Mensons who are knowledgeable and passionate about various different things present. They have a big games room where you can play all different kinds of games. Most groups have a huge games collection. So yeah. you're if you're all a gamer, that's a great place to go to find like-minded people. There is a big hospitality suite where there's 24-hour food and drink and snacks and stuff like that. And you can just sit at a table and have the, the wonderful art of conversation, you know, just catch up with your Tons. friends. In this case, because it was our first RG in like two years plus, it really was a delight to see people. Man, since a big hugging crowd, you know, there's all the, it, it, of course, the science says it's good for you. It makes your oxytocin go off. Now your oxycontin, just teasing, your oxytocin go off. It's really good, but it just is, man, I, I'm a hugger and I like getting hugged. And and for the last two years, it's been pretty much Khalid and I, you know what I mean? We are a touchy couple and stuff like that, but to go there and to like, man, I missed you so much, Dave. I missed you so much, Stephen, that kind of stuff. It was really a nice, delight. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, I, so I saw you did a couple of wonderful programs that Thank I you. was happy to attend, um, went to, had, you know, a couple late night games. We played encore where you, you know, everybody sings eight words of a song based on various different words. And it's amazing. If you want to see, it's a very different game with Mensons than with regular people, if you will, because Mensons are just so encyclopedic in yeah. What what they've heard on the radio, they they know coal miners ditties, they know shoshu, <laughs> they know hymns, and so it's it's sometimes you get on a word like love, forty five minutes later you finally run out of songs that use the word love in it, you know. So Helene and I've actually been working on a version where it's as as odd specific as you can, you know what I mean? Like songs that um, spell out numbers, you know, somewhere in it. So you got to get your eight six seven. <laughs> so it's kind of trivia along like with almost the, like yeah. trivia. So at least it'll be only three things per category it's not 300 you know um my this is you know the snacking thing is dangerous for me because oh, I'm, yeah. i did not have empty calorie city and yet they've got peanut m&ms they've got um various different kinds of chips and so i really am good i restrict myself to like one set of fun size things so that i really don't just go into a hypoglycemic yeah, coma or exactly <laughs> one of the one of the things that's hilarious they have a usually a cooler that has ice cream treats in it and tell me that that isn't like a 10 year old fantasy come oh my through. gosh i can have as many ice cream sandwiches and dreamsicles and nut bars and all of that as i want <laughs> to you throw i just stand next to it with with the lid open and just keep putting things <laughs> into my face that'd and, be a lot worse than the straw thing let me tell you <laughs> than the straw thing exactly i i once went to a party at a basket robins they used to do these i'm not sure if they still do especially not in the era of covid we're like for you have 20 people and you have an hour and they can eat as much ice cream as they want. You get to go behind the counter, if you will. Oh man, we did that in college. And there were a couple of people who was like, I'm taking on the challenge. I mean, I just, I must've tried 
a dozen scoops in an hour. And that's like, talk about brain freeze. Talk about my head. This hurts so good, but give me the chocolate mints. I, mean, right. I need to keep going. <laughs> yeah. So that's a little bit what this is, is like I said, that, that silly kid fantasy of, man, I don't even have, to, I didn't even have my tonsils out and I can have all the ice cream that I want. Right. So it, uh, it's, and, and I know sometimes you describe what an RG is to somebody who's never been to one. Uh, you know, I did that when Gina and her kids first came and they're like, what? That's weird. I'm like, really? You're going to say that's weird. And yet you've been to a Super Bowl party. So you can't say this is weird. And once you get into it, it's, it's great. Cause there's so many talks you get the gamut, uh, you know, uh, of talking about astronomy, then learning how to cha-cha and then talking right. about how a certain dog is better than a different type of breed of dog, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and real world stuff. They talked about like the fall of empires. They talked yes. about Ukraine and Russia. I mean, as, as current and topical as that, they had, they had all kinds of things and, and, that usually it's not only the person presenting this knowledgeable in a room full of meds, oh, God. all kinds of other people that can chime in. <laughs> and sometimes they don't just chime in. They actually kind of try to take over the stage. Yeah. The speaker has to be a good manager of, you know, maybe ask a question instead of make a statement, you know, <laughs> but, but honestly, that's an anomaly. Only once in a while do you have those really um, unsociable people. Most of the time, there's just such a great exchange of knowledge and of enthusiasm for the topic in the room. I, that's my favorite part of going to gatherings, the annual gathering where it's like five days long and there's hundreds of programs and there's like five each time slot. So you really have to make some choices. It kills me to be yeah. like, oh, my God, there's a comic book talk and there's an origami talk at the same time. You know, right. my weird quirks that I'm going to have to pick one. So, right. And, cool and, <laughs> and for like me, it, it's good practice to do the talks because they're always eager for you know someone to do something uh, program wise uh so you get some good feedback and i'll tell you it, it's one of those if you don't do much public speaking you you really have to practice way more than you may think you may think you have it down you know it then you're giving it you're like oh i forgot this and oh my slide that's not right and, and when i got done with these two this time it really clicked what I need to do to rearrange, fix, pull out, and, and streamline the talks a bit more. Exactly. So. I, as you know, I've talked more than 100 times, probably about 150 now, and on many different topics. I really have, over the course of my 40, 50, 45 years in Mensa, I've presented a lot. And often, by the time that I'm doing, like, I, I'll take, do a talk, and I'll kind of take it on the circuit. I'll do it in Dayton and Cincinnati and Columbus, and then over at Chicago, and maybe at the AG. And by about the third version, is it what I really wanted it to be all along, right. where I've included the things that I left out, or I tune things based on people's feedback, or I just like, this isn't flowing right. How do I rearrange things so that I get to the cool stuff where everybody's, you know, just that. So I like it when people give me constructive feedback. I like it when I myself take a moment and just jot down a little note of, you know, I need a better picture for this. I need a better example or whatever else it might be. Right. Um, almost always, I am so loaded with information that I run over. And so often I'll say like, hey, if you need someone to speak over dinner, it's not that I'm like of high quality as the dinner speaker, but it's more like if that's the hour and a half slot and people don't mind having me talk while they're eating, I'm willing to forego and, you know, get whatever right. scraps are left to just have it that the comic book movies talk that I has given is wonderful and lengthy and people are really enthusiastic about it but it doesn't fit in an hour right <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah. uh, 
We'll see. I didn't speak at this one because we weren't, or wasn't even sure that we were going to be there. The more that things in California change, what weekends were available and stuff like that, the more that I kind of have to maintain some. Right. Way. So almost, I'm going to be speaking on comic book geography at the annual gathering. Good. You know, so nice. And that's a film. That's a relatively recent one that I did for um, Baldwin Wallace. You know what I mean? I did my, my course, uh, right my six, six things for Baldwin Wallace and that's one that I did it there and I've updated it and bettered it and especially with things coming out just now with Spider-Man No Way Home and the Multiverse of Madness where they're getting an idea that the comic book universe is big that there's all different kinds of timelines and all different kinds of planets and dimensions and alternate universes if you will I another one of those ways in which people are like that's not like Little Lada and Huey Dewey and Louie that's <laughs> big stuff that's yeah. like string theory level smartness you know what i mean right. that the universe really might be a multiverse and that we bleed over into each other or whatever how do black holes work whatever else it might be and so i'm looking forward to being like this is me stretching out my mighty mensa brain through the medium of comic books as best i can we're going to talk about could it nice. be vibratory planes you know how do you hide a continent you know what i mean there really were places that were terra incognita on earth until like 1940 a world filled with people and it, we still hadn't penetrated that jungle or that Dude, desert right. that antarctic place and that's uh, one of the reasons that i loved reading pulps when i was young is because the books often figured that doc savage went to all kinds of places on the planet under the planet you know subterranean whatever else it might be that were just if you don't know what it might be then you can make it hey there's this big crystal cave under the earth and right. the people that live there anyway i i've always loved that idea and now kind of full circle i love that when i was like 15 and now i'm going to get a chance to share it when i'm yeah 60, that's cool 62 you know what i mean so that's kind of fun anyway <laughs> yeah good times uh so yeah. it was, it was, I, I played the craziest dominion game i've ever played uh, when we first came in that's what you mentioned if anybody's into dominion so tell say because it really is extraordinary the number of curses yeah we, we had 50 curses that we went through because we had like four different cards that not only gave curses but manipulated them that you could put one in exile if you did this but you got this other one and you traded them and put them back and it was crazy we went through 50 uh, we had a hard time buying cards that cost five so like nobody was buying the gold because we just couldn't afford it ever we just couldn't get the cards out and we ended up uh finishing the game uh by the, so if you buy three stacks, the game ends, or you buy all the provinces. Well, provinces cost eight. Well, the, the last stack to finish was the estates. Nobody ever buys estates that much, and that's how we ended that's the right. game. <laughs> See, that, that's, I, especially one, one of the cool things is when you play a lot of certain games, and then there's a game that's unlike any you've ever played before. It's like, so what had to happen to make it so that it didn't go in the same pattern and flow as dozens of times that i played this previous and it feels really weird to be not in habit but in uncharted territory to be like well, we're <laughs> all in this how are we all handling it nobody seems to have money nobody seems to you know what i mean it's, right. it's a very cool thing to get new circumstances and, <laughs> and, and e if, even if you look at the cards and you're like okay i got a strategy some of that strategy is going to depend on what everyone else is doing so it could totally change and it's fluid and flexible because afterwards i was talking to one of the other players i'm like you know Looking back, 
we should have just started buying all the silver we could forget the actions at all because we would have had more more chance of having money in our hand the actions really clogged it up too much with all the curses we had right. so it, but it, you know that in, in the aftermath not while it's going on you're like well this has worked before so i'm going to keep doing what i think should work <laughs> that's, that's a great thing with the dominion though that's why i love it and robert was there he has all the expansions including the newest one so you know you get that variety we played one sunday morning with witches and werewolves and vampires and haunted houses um, and okay. it, it was it had night they add another phase to your turn so you have your action you have your buy then you have night uh so it was it, it was different it was fun yeah yeah it's one of it's kind of funny that's a relatively new kind of game. You know, we started with Settlers of Catan, now Catan, from what I understand, and Puerto Rico and various others, that um, to talk to people about why is that interesting? You know, why is, like, and, and to me, it's it's classic game theory. There's people that have the same goals, that is, you know, to accumulate resources and and, and, and the game with the most, but the paths they take and the, the right balance of luck and skill and memory and strategy, it's it, some of those things, the combinatorial explosion of what might be different per game is very interesting, especially when you start to have naive players versus skilled players and, and that kind of stuff. And so it's very cool to sit down and say, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm two thirds of the way towards being able to guess what's going to happen, but anything that involves that, that little bit of luck and that little bit of, um, various skill levels of the player. I guess it's kind of like sitting down at the blackjack table and say, well, even with perfect play, if someone keeps taking my card, then I'm not, you know, even if I'm counting cards and reading into the deck into the future, it really might not work out based on right. my companions. And there's something interesting. That's the whole point of a social game, you know, to right. be around a table is to, to share that experience and get sometimes forwarded and sometimes forwarded even if they don't know they're doing it right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? absolutely so, yeah anyway. <laughs> so so any updates before we get off get going um, um investing or the vaults or anything so uh, investing i had a very good day yesterday i had uh 98 out of my 102 stocks were up wow good so i had a very good day and especially what seems to happen i think i mentioned i've been in the doldrums for about the last year out of my 102 stocks back when I was picking more precisely and not just going into an entire portfolio, I was a very good stock picker. I usually had 95 of my stocks were up and they just varied as to how much they were up. Once you go into a portfolio where we're taking on more volatility and risk, you often will have half of your guys will not make money, but the ones who are making money are making so much that they make up in the overall of the portfolio level that you're way ahead. Well, it's still frustrating to have 50 out of your 100 stocks down and Whatever has happened yesterday with good news from the Fed, good news from Ukraine, um, greed, there's all kinds of factors that go into this. A lot of my ones that were the most negative were the ones that were most buoyed up yesterday. So I made big progress with a whole bunch of things flipping from negative to positive and a whole bunch meaning like four. But after having had everything wallowing at like 50 or less, it was nice to have my big guys go up and to have a whole bunch of my small guys showing signs of recovery instead of being nice. down at the lowest price they'd been for years they actually started to move up to a 25 percent mark or whatever else it might be so um and, and you know it's like we'll see what what uh upstart was one of the ones uh, so here's um i have a couple things that i'm amazed are not doing better than they are like teledoc like roku like docusign and 
the the fundamentals behind it and the story behind how they should be doing in the market, the story is finally coming true. If these markets continue to get smarter and that we um, the world becomes the better future that we want it to be, at least th those couple, I'm not sure if they're going to be the ones, my, right now my ones that are making the most money are Tesla, um, Palo Alto Networks, Etsy, Shopify, The Trade Desk, MongoDB. There's a couple, many of whom maybe people have never really MongoDB. Wow. MongoDB. Exactly. Well, as you know, it's, it's a free form compared to the world of SQL. It's much more of a free form database because now there's so many things you want to store in a database, rich media and stuff like that, that they had to have a way of handling that, assigning keywords, doing quick searches of it. And MongoDB is doing a really good job of corralling all the different data types that are out there for what kinds of things we see in a, in a metaverse in a rich media world right. so interesting they're, they're that'll that'll like, that'll go well with all the ai stuff coming around being able to deep dive yeah. into things and correlations and that so yeah. they're probably going to do really well coming up and the teledoc so. that you mentioned that that goes right along with my talk because that's one of the points is we're not going to need as many doctors because 90% of what doctors do is being taken over by the robots. And I think I even mentioned in my talk, we, we're going to need more nurses. We're not going to need accountants because the AI will do that. But we need people with hands-on uh, type stuff. Exactly. So it, it's kind of funny. Uh, intuitive surgical is probably the one that's even more. They want to have the Da Vinci robots that allow you to do remote surgery at an amazing, precise level. But instead of having to have doctors in all these different places, you have one of those in a hospital, and then a, a doctor can telecommute in, if you will, and still do difficult things, even in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, or whatever else it might be. That's cool. So, um, and, and as you might imagine, there's a whole bunch of cybersecurity plays that are coming through right now. Shockwave is good, uh, Cloudflare, um, that with all that's going on with Russian incursionism, not just into the Ukraine, but into the world in general, uh, I, I'm seeing good responses from them. Huh. So there, you know, the, the quick stock report of, and I think they're going to continue to win. Um We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, so, cool. And I, and I haven't been out to the vaults lately, so I don't really have a good report on that, except I really am in the in the final stretch. I got well, I probably eight boxes to go, and then I'll have cataloged everything. What I did do was I bought um, bags from Gerber, which is the highest rated, you know, good Mylar inert bag and so forth. They have no backer boards available until at least June because of supply line issues. And it's like, well, I doesn't really... I don't want it to be that they are in a bag, but flimsy. So I actually went to a place called Hobby Depot or Hobby, not Hobby Lobby, Hobby something that had BCW boards. They're slightly less quality. They're still acid free, but only on one side instead of two and all that kind of stuff. But I needed to have. So um, a, a lot of my collection is still raw. It's all lined up nice and safe, but I have not bagged 90% of my collection for anything that I'm going to be sending out to get graded and then auctioned off, I really want it to be that it's in as good a shape protected wise and uh, right. sealed as I right. can be. And so I invested in my first raft of those things ready to go out about 500 of each of those things. So. And just Adam at the comic store had this issue yeah. where they sent something out, it came back to, to be graded, and it was not the same comic they sent out. Huh. And they're huh. trying to trace that what happened so the best guess is whoever's unboxing and going through the mail knows the values and 
would switch comics and take better ones. So, yeah. So there's nothing more important for those firms to maintain absolute integrity. Integrity. Yeah. What's going to kill CGC is not, oh, my grade was only 9.4 instead of 9.6. It's going to be that worm in the apple of someone not right someone stealing uh, at their site and i hope that that doesn't happen with enough um yeah he, he's never had it happen. starts to be you know what i mean I, yeah. like and i don't know I, as i think i mentioned i was also looking into insurance because the biggest risk i'm taking is not me having it here at home me having it in my storage locker it's the transition between here and florida right. or texas and how do i make sure that you know most places it'll be well we're, it's automatically covered for a thousand dollars well, that covers most things. It doesn't cover a $35,000 comic. Right. So I really got to be careful about what, how I'm looking into now that I'm kind of at the 10 yard line, don't find a way to fumble at the five or the three. Yeah, or that, the would, one. that would be <laughs> horrible. Right. So, exactly. So, so a quick writing update for me. Um, last summer, I went out to Salem with a group of writers um, and we uh, had a nice little couple days talking, writing, and we created a world And then in Salem, you know, with all the witch stuff. And then we all went back and wrote short stories uh, using our world with witches. And that short story anthology is coming out at the end of April. So a couple of weeks. So let me, let me, please, you know, let me know. I'll buy a copy. Let put something on the website so everybody can buy a copy. And and it's, uh, it's like 14 different authors uh, with short stories. So you're going to get some you like better than others. I'm sure. And, uh, different levels of authors. I mean, I'm new and there's others that are new, but there's others that have been doing it for 20 years, you know, so it's a big difference, but all the money goes to charity. It goes to the house of seven Gables charity, which was where Hawthorne lived and wrote the story. Uh, and it's, the money is going to them to help preserve and educate and things like that. So we don't get any money. It's, it was our, uh, you know, for the experience and all that. So, okay. Yeah. Every, every published work, as you know, adds to the portfolio, the resume. So I've, I've got, I've got two anthologies coming out and probably two books this year, possibly uh, a third book of short stories that I'm just using as a, a freebie to entice people. So I, I might have by the end of the year, like five things out is, is what Fantastic. I'm sharing. Fantastic. That's, you know, it, it's a privilege to know people who really are published authors, you know, not, not, not only yourself, but I have a friend, Kate Hutchinson, who's a, a poet. And, you know, if there's anything maybe even less trafficked than comic books, it might be poetry. And yet she's got a number of what they call chat books, a number of, you know, full, beautiful collections. I got a couple for Colleen because she loves poetry for Christmas and loved them. Um, nice. Cynthia Clampett, a friend of ours in Mensa, has written a number of books on food and traveling the world to find food and to find the stories behind it. So she just had one, I think it's called something like Rediscovering the Heartland. That's all about Midwest um, oh. travel and so forth. And it just published by University of Illinois Press. So it's, you know, a, a very, it was one of those things where you could pre-buy and then, you know, based on, on kind of like a, a crowd f- a funding and stuff like that, but just got it, haven't read it yet, but she's one of those people that no matter what book, no matter what talk she's doing, I'm there because she really knows her stuff and really spins a good tale, has great vocabulary, has wonderful humanity and enthusiasm. So Cynthia nice. Clampett, you're here for next, next book in her series. Cool. So- and I got to spend part of the weekend with Bill Keith 
uh, writes as Ian Douglas and he's got a book coming out. It's a, it's a game coming out. So we, you know, something to check out. It's called Leviathans. It's kind of steampunk and it's um, battleships in like huge cruisers in the steampunk era. But this group of authors wrote short stories and have an anthology based on the board game. And he was one of them. So he showed me that book. I, I, I can't say it now until it's published. But I will have wonderful big news about Bill Keith doing me a solid. Uh-oh. He, he called me and told me about a very cool thing that he was thinking of doing. And I said, sure, go ahead. And so I, when, when that comes out, I'll be happy to, I might be like in it. When's the possible expectation date for this secret? I, I, no, I, I, I don't think he revealed that to me. Or if he did, I don't remember it. But it was like, one of the books he's currently working on so within a year or two years i nice. don't know what his time horizons i don't i think he might work on multiple things simultaneously instead of yeah. only one though i don't know that for sure yeah I remember because we've had not as authorly talks as i'm sure you and he have had but we've talked about that and he's he's so prolific that you know you can't i don't know that you can do 30 books without maybe having multiple ideas multiple shifts in uh, the the mood you're in and stuff like that but we will see it was great seeing him in breed yeah it it really was and he had a great talk which i've sat in before about the fermi paradox drake equation uh and he came up with this what was i doing double deck because i was in the tournament if you've seen his talk it was the same talk with a few editions um but he came up with his own law um, so basically it's, uh, if the, if, if you can imagine it, it exists somewhere and it's, it, it doesn't Very break cool. the laws of physics. <laughs> Essence precedes existence. That's cool. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. We'll have to talk about that. You know, the Drake equation for those who don't know is the, the way of trying to say, what's the chance of intelligent life in the universe besides us? And what's the chance of us ever meeting it? And yeah. That, you know, it's, it's, it's very cool to see how they boiled it down to, you know, the universe is really big. <laughs> and there's a lot more to it than people think, you know, exactly. I mean, well, when you're talking well, billions of years, <laughs> so, all right, well, maybe we'll talk okay. about that sometime. We'll add it to the list. Always a pleasure. All right. Take all right, care, man. Steven. Later. Okay, all right. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.